We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. now on setting the pace it is the second time in the three months i'd say so that's pretty special we got the pacers general manager chad buchanan uh back on setting the pace chad thanks so much for rejoining us good to be with you guys again yeah i just gotta say i guess the first experience wasn't so bad so he wasn't afraid and we didn't ask too many tough questions but maybe after this go around chad will be like okay i need a break from getting you know questioned by these guys but uh I want to start things off because the draft, we talked before the draft, and so there's been a lot that's happened since then. So, you know, before the draft was where I want to start. You guys made some trades involving draft picks. You traded 29 and 32 for the 40th pick and a first rounder next season. And then you moved 40 for 47 in cash. I'm just kind of curious, what was the reasoning behind all those deals before the draft started? Well, obviously, we had only so many roster spots, you know, to work with heading into draft night, and we had more picks than roster spots. So that was a very broad answer to that, you know, why we were pretty active in trying to move some picks around. We didn't, you know, we the idea of having three first-round picks was great. It created a lot of, you know, calls and activity and interest around the league. And, you know, having that ability to have multiple picks in any draft gives you a lot of tools to work with. And if if we could move one of those into the future and have a similar situation a year now, a year from now or two years from now, I think that was the idea. That's why we ended up doing the deal with Denver and getting a future pick in next year's draft and gives us two bullets to use next, next summer and, you know, moving around, um, you know, moving down in the draft, you know, we had enough guys on our, on our board. We felt moving down seven spots, picking up, you know, some resources that, you know, for a market like us, a team like us can be valuable. Um, we decided to do that. And, you know, at the end of the day, we ended up, you know, the most important pick at the end of the night is your first pick. That's yeah. where, 
you know, you gotta, you gotta make the right selection there because that's usually the guy that's going to have the most impact on your team. Now you can pick guys later in the draft. Obviously we see examples of that, but you know, the, the odds are going to tell you the higher you pick, the more important that pick becomes. So we want to make sure that that pick was where we spent, you know, the majority of our time and energy on and we feel good about Jairus and hopeful for his future with us. And speaking of Jarris and pick seven, I mean, look, Chad, I've always been a checkers guy, but you guys were on a full display of chess. I mean, at pick seven, you trade the pick to Washington, move back one spot to eight. You also pick up two second rounders. I mean, yeah, two second rounders in the future. Did you have multiple offers on the table for pick seven? And what made that deal with Washington the best offer available? Yeah, I think there was a lot of interest in pick seven. I think there were teams that were chasing players. Some teams were chasing one player, some were chasing different players. So we had to calculate, you know, how far are we willing to move back if we're willing to move back at all? And if we do move back, are the chances of that team moving into our spot, taking our guy? And so we had to do a lot of research on that and figure out how, how far are we comfortable moving down and, you know, what are we willing to give up, you know, and take on, I guess you could say, in this, in this case, getting a couple second round picks to move back and we felt comfortable that we were still going to get the player we had targeted by moving back, but it was only one spot that we felt was the most comfortable move for us. And uh, at the end of the day, we ended up getting the player we wanted. Washington got the player they wanted and, you know, both teams, you know, feel good about draft night. I will say for shock value purposes, making that trade and then having ESPN announce that the pick was Bilal Koulibaly, that was great podcast content for us <laughs> because we were watching it live and reacting live and, Completely stunned when that was the the pick that came in. We're like, we didn't even think Balakula Bali was going to be in that range. And then the fact that we took him, we're like, what in the world? Uh, so, yeah, that was pretty uh, pretty savvy there. But before we talk about Jairus, I kind of have two questions here. I wanted you to follow up on uh, the first question I asked you about. You talked about getting cash from the Lakers in that trade with them to move back. I, I want to know a little bit more about what cash considerations are and how they work. And then I also want you to after that just kind of talk about Jarris overall taking him eighth was he your guy all along and what do you love about his game that you know made you guys so enticed to take him there to eat sure well every fiscal year teams are allowed to take in a certain amount of dollars and give out a certain amount of dollars um in any sort of trade so uh when the Lakers approached us about you know interest in that pick once we acquired it um you know initially they had offered a certain amount of money and you know we know what that type of money can do in the draft. It can also help your just organization in other ways. Um, and so when, you know, the offer got up to be, you know, such a significant number, <clears throat> something that we had to think hard about doing. And um, ultimately we decided, you know, that, hey, this is going to help us in some other ways. We're not getting completely out of the draft. We're only moving down seven spots. Um, we just felt like, you know, the cash considerations, how they announce it is obviously – you know, the average fan probably doesn't know what does that mean? How does that help a team? You know, what does that do for, you know, your roster, things like that. So and we factor all that in and ultimately at the end of the day, the, the offer was something that we felt was beneficial to us in a lot of ways that we can use those you know resources to help our team and some stuff that the average fans probably not going to know and you're never going to see it, but our players will feel it. Our staff will feel it. And ultimately it helps your organization in ways that it's hard to, Hard for the average fan to, on the outside looking in to understand and, and feel. So um, so that was the reason why we did that move. Um, you know, Jairus in particular, obviously when we looked at our team last year, one of our weaknesses was our was our defense. And for us to be a playoff caliber team, that's a 
where we really have to make the most strides. So going into the draft, going into the offseason, free agency, uh, the trade market, that was a real emphasis for us is how can we improve as a defensive, you know, as a team defensively. And, you know, in the draft, we felt there were a couple of guys that could help help with that. Um, and Jarris was one of those that, towards the top of the list. You know, his versatility, you know, being able to guard, you know, different guys, different size guys, different levels of skill level guys, different, you know, strength of, of guys. He's just got a lot of, you know, you know, versatility to guard multiple different types of players. And we just didn't have that profile player on our roster. You know, Aaron Neesmith, you know, did a good job for us there. He's just a little undersized to play against a lot of the, the bigger fours that we have to try and defend every night in our league. And Jairus gives, you know, some exceptional length, exceptional strength. Um, and he's just got a knack for making things happen on the defensive end. Now, he's, he's got a lot of learning. There's a learning curve in front of him, like all rookies are going to go through. And there's, there's going to be nights where you're going to think that he's one of your worst defenders, <laughs> you know, on the team. And because he's going to gamble and <clears throat> he's going to get lost. And guys are going to move without the ball and expose some of that. But he's a smart player. He's a cerebral player. And he's going to learn on the fly with us. And we, the, the defensive potential for him was really attractive to us. And he's a guy who doesn't need the ball to be effective. Um, you know, he can really pass. Like I said, he's, he's a really high IQ player, which our coaches really value. And in our system, that's important, you know, because we want the ball to move. We want guys cutting, want to play with pace. And the more guys that you have that can make a play with the ball – the harder you are to defend and you add in the defense and that part of the offense. And he, he just felt like a, a really good fit for our team. What I love is when you were last on our show, the end of May, you described what you're looking for in the draft and your description fit Jarris Walker and to end up with Jarris Walker, I think just so spot on that you guys knew what you were looking for. You went out and you properly addressed it and his defensive intangibles and IQ, I just feel like it's something that, either kind of have it or you don't. And I think that a player like Jarris is going to be an amazing addition to the Pacers. But one thing that you also discussed on the radio a while back is the team was very aggressive, trying to trade up in the first round to select Cam Whitmore. Cam Whitmore ends up going on to be summer league MVP, looked awesome, but obviously slid down to 20. Why do you think these teams were unwilling to move their picks before he was selected at 20 by Houston? I think you get into the draft, and at that point you spent, you know, six months, you know, targeting guys that you really like, that you have interest in that fit your team. And you get closer to the draft, you get into the process of getting to know these players. They're coming through your building. Your coaches are getting their eyes on them, getting their chance to work with them. You're interviewing them. And you really develop an attachment to one guy or maybe it's two guys. And then in the moment of the draft, you've, you've built up all this momentum with, you know, your staff, your coach, your owner, and you're like, okay, we're going to get one of these guys that we've been targeting and spend all this time on. And in the moment you get a phone call and you know, I've experienced this with other teams I've been with you in that moment, you've become attached to a player that you think you're going to be able to draft or a couple of players that you think you have a very good chance of drafting. And when that phone call comes to, to trade away that pick and you're giving up this potential player that you, like I said, you developed this attachment to, or, desire to add to your team and you're giving that away in the moment, that's hard for, for some teams to, to just turn the page after you've gotten that far down the road with a player. So I think that's a big part of why teams are reluctant to trade a pick during the draft because they've gotten so far down the road with a player that they're excited to draft and to, to walk away from it at the very, very last 
the one yard line is tough for teams to do. And I, I, I can understand that. So that's why it's hard to get into the draft as it's happening. Um, and I'm sure there are other teams that were chasing players like we were too. And so you got teams that are fielding multiple offers, you know, and that's the draft is so hard to, to explain the frenzy of draft night. And like you were talking about, you know, they announcing us drafting Bilal Koulibaly. <clears throat> I didn't even see our selection as it's happening because you're, I'm on the phone, you know, Kevin and Kelly and Ted and I are, are talking with other teams. We're talking with agents. We're talking with our owner. We're talking with our coach. And the draft is happening while you're, it's just this other thing going on <laughs> during the night. It sounds crazy to say, but that's the reality is the draft is happening, but you're, you're in a whole different world as it's happening. And sometimes you're making phone calls and you're like, what, what pick are we at? Like, what, where are we at in the draft? Like, you don't know who's just selected and you just know where you're at and where you're trying to get to and the player you're trying to get. And can you get to that, that player? So um, it's such a frenzy of the, of the moment. You get so attached to a player that sometimes it's hard to, like I said, to walk away at the last moment. Yeah. And I want to follow up on that real quick before I ask the next question, because I'm, I'm curious, do you think that the NBA could potentially make the, the draft experience a, maybe a two day thing where the picks, it's longer than a five-minute window there for when you make your pick. And we see with the NFL, I think it's like 15 minutes or something like that per pick. And I don't know if you need that long, but it still would allow more times for trades to happen and kind of develop and have those conversations while the draft is going on. And then maybe push the second round into another day. So it feels like everything is not just crammed in like a five-hour time frame. I'm just curious your thoughts on that real quick. We, that's something we've talked about for a long, long time internally. And, yeah. you know, going multiple nights, you know, there's a lot of, you know, good reasons to do that. I think you see the NFL has a lot of success with that. Just the product is out in front of, you know, the world for multiple nights on, you know, TV. But from an internal operational standpoint, having more time in between picks is very beneficial, you know, for, for the first round, five minutes is probably okay. But, you know, I know this, the draft started at 8 o'clock Eastern time this year. Yeah. And the last pick is probably sometimes it's after midnight. So how, are you losing viewers as the night goes on? It gets later and later. And, um, you know, having it multiple nights, I think there's a lot of, you know, good reasons to do that. And the second round, especially, you only got, you know, just a couple of minutes in between picks. And you're trying to move around. There's much more action of picks moving around in the second round than there's in the first round. And sometimes you you're trying to acquire a pick. 38 and at the start of the night the Detroit Pistons are pick 38 and you're calling them at pick 35 trying to acquire it and they'll say oh we just traded that pick to Atlanta so you call Atlanta and Atlanta says, oh we traded that pick to Charlotte but before you know it the pick's already taken you're you're it's so much you know as action is taking place you don't know who exactly has each pick because they get moved around so much in the, in the moment and I think also there's benefits of each player has its own little story and the, sometimes the second round players, you know, their story just kind of gets pushed to the side because they're just, they're coming so fast and, mm -hmm. you know, they're still talking about the first round and it's, it, it diminishes their moment a little bit. So having it multiple nights, I think is a, you know, there's a lot of advantages to doing that and, you know, who knows what will happen in the future. Maybe they consider doing that moving forward, but I think it's a great idea. Yeah, I would, I would love to see them do that. And I think there could be even three rounds eventually once we get more talent because the league just keeps getting fuller and fuller with talent. And we know expansion's potentially on the way as well. So, um, But, you know, you traded away two picks at 29 and 32, but you kept pick 26. 
You take Ben Shepard at 26, you know, someone that was a late riser on big boards. What was it about Shepard's game that made it important to hang on to pick 26 instead of moving it? And was it true the pace had been high on him for years? Yeah, we've liked Ben for a little while now. And I think once Coach Carlisle came on board, you know, you, as a scouting staff, you can like a player for your own individual reasons, but it may not fit your system that your coach is playing and employing. So kind of marrying up those two thoughts is important for us. And I think that's what initially attracted our scouts to Ben was his ability to play without the ball, his movement, his shooting, um, his just overall activity level was was the way that Rick and his staff like to play offensively, especially is, you know, we're not, we're trying not to be an isolation type team where there's a lot of ball movement, a lot of player movement. Um, the ball is swinging up and down the court. It's swinging side to side. Guys are cutting, guys are screening. And that's how Ben thrives. That's, that's his game. And so I think that's what initially drew our scouts to Ben. And um, the more you watch him, the more his development happened from year to year. And ultimately he had a very good combine, which was good for him. But at that point, we we kind of knew that this guy would be a, a pretty seamless fit with how Coach Carl likes to to run things, and um, he had a great workout for us. He really impressed us with his interview, his personality. Is you know he's he's a he's kind of an underdog, and mm-hmm. I think those are the guys who you pick them later in the first round and the second round, guys who've had to kind of grind their way to get to a certain spot, and they weren't you know handed anything. You know, those are the guys that are going to work and they're going to continue to work and. That's Ben, and I think that's you know why I think he's going to be a good fit with us. I just love how eager both players were to get to work right after being drafted. So, you know, to back up your point right over there, I think the Pacers got two great players on the court, but also off the court. But another thing that you had you know mentioned before, but in the, in the second round, there was speculation that maybe Indiana Hoosier, Trace Jackson Davis sliding in the draft, that you guys could select him at 47 or 55. You referenced this in a a radio interview that it didn't work out because it felt like Trace wanted a guaranteed roster spot instead of a two-way deal. Instead, you end up selecting Mojave King and Isaiah Wong. What was it about these two players that maybe made them the right picks for you guys? And why have King be a drafted stash? Yeah, first off with Trace, obviously, terrific player, terrific human being, big fans of his game. Um, obviously there's a lot of, you know, ties to, to Indiana and, you know, it's something we looked very hard into. There was a lot of communication with his agent, um, you know, trying to find sometimes both parties have got to be on the same page and you, they both got to want the same thing. Sometimes you don't want to start, start a relationship off in a, in a bad way. That's kind of doomed from the very beginning. Um, so we, you know, we were respectful of, you know, his agent's wishes and, um, we want the best for him. He's going to be a great player in Golden State, and I think he's going to have a tremendous NBA career. And um, but it's also he he's, he looks at our roster and saw you know is there a great opportunity there for for him for us? And you know he's probably sees you know the depth we have at the center position. Felt like hey that's probably not the best situation for me, which I understand that. And no you know no disrespect to the Pacers, and you, you got as a player you got to look for what's best for you and. We totally understood that and respected that. So, um, you know, we end up turning in a, in a different direction. And uh, Mojave is, uh, you know, like a, you go back to the roster spot situation. We were in a crunch there. So we had to to find the best candidate that was willing to, you know, to develop, continue to develop elsewhere, whether that's overseas or the G League, wherever, we, wherever it ends up being. We had to have, you know, that profile of person. 
Um, at pick 47, it's, you know, sometimes hard to, to get somebody to accept that. So we had to do a lot of research on who's willing to do that. And um, we liked Mojave and he's a young wing and um, liked where he was kind of started to develop as the G League season went on. So, um, you know, he's going to be, you know, wh whether he ends up, you know, where he ends up this season, we don't know yet. We're still working on that, hoping, you know, the agent and our, and our staff are working on that together. And, um, but we'd like to see him developing and, you know, obviously he won't be with the Pacers this year, but I'm excited to see where he goes in the next year or two and we can evaluate his development that way. Yeah. And as we kind of tie up our conversation here about the draft, um, you know, one thing I was curious about, you did bring on Oscar Sheboy on that other two-way deal. What do you like about Oscar and what he brings to the table? And I guess any other comments you have on the draft before we move on to a, uh, the next part of our uh, our conversation here? I mean, Oscar's he's hard to not smile when you're around the guy. I mean, you bring up his name, I just instantly smile because <laughs> it just, he just lights up the room. He's got a a great way about him. He's very people friendly, very people oriented, a pleaser. And, you know, we had obviously, how can you not respect what he did at Kentucky? I mean, he's gobbled up rebounds as well as anybody in the country and physical presence. And he got better from his time at West Virginia to each year, you know, as he progressed, uh, we finished up at Kentucky and, you know, he was a guy we, we jumped on right the second we saw he wasn't the sixth or 58th pick this year. We were on the horn trying to get him, you know, to commit to come to us. And it was funny when he, he called us, he had plenty of offers. When he called us, he said, I'm the first thing he said was, I'm ready to come eat rebounds for you guys. Um, so okay. he's, that's something that our team and, you know, teams in the NBA need. You need guys who want to chase the ball and rebound and get you extra possessions. And he brings the physicality and, um, you know, excited to see how he can develop with us. Cause he's, you know, he's, he's a, a little undersized for an NBA center, but he's also oversized with his strength and his ability to go get the ball too. Yo, Chad, I, I got to chime in on this. As a graduate of West Virginia, I followed Oscar through high school. And I, I loved this man. And I was <laughs> heartbroken when he left to go to Kentucky. Seeing him work out for you guys, I started to, you know, come back a little bit. When you guys signed Oscar, I was 110% back on board to be like, that's it. It was meant to be. Like, I cannot wait to see him develop. I love that pickup. And I cannot wait for this coming year for Oscar to develop in the G League because, oh, man, he's going to work. And he has what you can't teach. And that is a man down low grabbing rebounds. And we saw it in Summer League. He was someone that was able to get to the free throw line. Didn't miss a shot. Was really good at, at what he did finishing in the paint, and I'm just really excited about what's in store for Oscar. Fantastic pickup, I guess. I think if you were to meet Oscar, you'd, it'd be hard to not like him. And that's, I think so. Take the basketball part just as a guy. He's just a lovable, likable guy. And one thing I love about his game, too, before we close this out, is I, I just love that he understands his role and doesn't try to be somebody that he's not. And sometimes you have that problem with guys, especially young guys trying to prove themselves, Chad, but it just feels like Oscar, like you said, I'm going to come in here and get rebounds. That's exactly what you want to hear from a guy that's had got experience in college and knows exactly who he is as a player. Yeah, I think that's important for a young player, whether it's a high school player going to college, a college player going to the pros, is you're being picked to that program or that team because you probably have one thing, at least one thing you do really well. And when you get to that new situation, 
focus on that to begin with. You know, that's your base of why you're there. And I think a mistake that young players can sometimes make is if, if I'm a great rebounder and I go to the next level, I think, okay, I've already can do that. Now I'm going to work on my three-point shooting and my ball handling. And you get away from what got you to where you're at. And I think Oscar, you're, I think you're spot on with that, Alex. He knows why he's where he's at right now. Mm -hmm. And I think he's going to continue to do that. And as he adds stuff to his game, as he gets older, that'll only make him more valuable to, to teams in our league. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, I want to transition now to the free agency period because the first deal that we heard reported was from Sham Sharania that Chris Duarte had been dealt to Sacramento. You know, we were hanging on the edge of our seat for about a week trying to find out the details of that trade because we weren't sure what was going down, but we knew that maybe he was on the move to Sacramento. But I'm curious, what was the reasoning behind moving Duarte to Sacramento, and how did he receive the news that he was going to be dealt? But uh, to back up to your question about the delay and, you know, details on that, sometimes teams will agree to a deal early in free agency and they want to leave the window open for making a bigger deal four or five, six, seven, eight days down the road because, you know, deals that be, sometimes start off as two teams become a three-team trade or a five-team trade as you start to loop in different pieces and so that's why I think, you know, there was a delay and probably information getting out on that, that decision for, for moving Chris. But I think as, the reason for that is, as we looked at our roster, um, we started with the drafting of, of Ben. You know, obviously we have Andrew, TJ, Buddy, you know, we, we, were, we signed Bruce Brown. You got Benedict Matherman. You're probably going to move Aaron Neesmith at three. We just started to get really crowded at the wing spot. And so we wanted to give, you know, him an opportunity out of respect to him to have a, a better, you know, platform to play somewhere. And Sacramento has, has shown interest in the past in Chris and continue to show interest at the draft. And, and ultimately, as we looked at our roster, you know, you, you just can't play 15 guys. And, you know, Chris was obviously showed that when he's healthy, he's a, he's a good player. And, uh, we ultimately decided, hey, we want to clear up the logjam a little bit at the wing position. And, you know, that's why we ended up moving Chris. And Chris was, when we communicated to him, we were in touch with his agent all along that this was a possibility. So it was, he was not caught off guard by it because um, we communicated that ahead of time. And he was respectful. He appreciated his time with the Pacers and he understood the reason for the move. And his agent helped communicate that as well all along. So 
I think it was, you know, Chris is just, he's a great man and um, we wish him the best. And he's, I think he sees good opportunity, gets to play with Domas again. They had good sim, sim, uh, synergy together and hopefully he plays well for them in, in Sacramento. And I think there there isn't going to be a Pacer fan out there that's not going to be rooting for Chris Duarte moving forward. We're all excited for him. And yeah, gives him a, a bigger opportunity. But in the process, you pick up two second round picks in the Duarte deal and then use those or use two other second-round picks to acquire Obi Toppin. It feels like for about two years now, I've been hoping the Pacers would make a call for Obi Toppin. How long has the front office coveted Obi Toppin, and what is it about his game that you like best? But I also got to know this. At the end of the season, Obi Toppin played some of his best basketball against the Pacers. Was there ever a moment... Were you KP or anyone thinking? I think we got to place a call this offseason. He definitely uh, put a hurting on us many a nights <laughs> over the last. <laughs> um, but I think he's a guy, along with some other young fours that we've been tracking for a couple of years because it's been a hole in our roster. And you know, those guys are very, very difficult to acquire. And I think you know the the situation came up, you know, that with Ob with his situation with New York and opportunity there maybe wasn't what he had hoped and um you know we could provide a, a good opportunity for him so i think it was a cooperation you know with all parties of trying to find you know a fair deal to get him to a place where he had a good opportunity to play and maybe grow and blossom a little bit and um he's obviously a guy that's you know very high draft pick and has been with a very good team in new york they're an excellent team this year and um you know i think he's he's hoping for more of an opportunity more of a role and He's going to have the opportunity to to earn that with us this year, and I think we're should have a very very competitive training camp overall. But the the power forward spot is you know pretty wide open. I think always you know got a great chance to secure some minutes there and show us what he can do. Yeah, and that was going to be my next question: is you look at drafting Jairus Walker eighth overall, then you go trade for Obi Toppin. Based on what we saw last year with Benedict Matherin coming off the bench, even though he was a six overall pick, I think. Some people are speculating that Jairus Walker will be coming off the bench and Obi will be uh, starting, but I'm curious, is there um, expectations for who's going to start at the four, or is that something that's going to be, like you said, a training camp battle and those guys are going to have to earn those minutes? I think it's a training camp battle. I don't think we we haven't promised anybody any starting position. I think there's probably a, a decent chance that Tyrese starts for us, um, <laughs> and probably Miles will have a chance to start, but... You know, other than that, it's, it's going to be a very competitive camp, and we want that. We want, you know, guys to earn their playing time and earn their minutes, earn their starting roles, and I think you're going to see a lot of competition at really every position. You know, I think we're we're a team that has a star in Tyrese, and we got a lot of other guys that could maybe be blossom into one. You know, I think we have one for sure, and hopefully that we can have one or two or however many others turn into that, but... They may not, too. You know, mm -hmm. we don't know. But we have a lot of guys with that potential to take another leap. And really, all across the board, almost every position, we have that. So it's training camp should be very, very intense. A lot of guys trying to prove that they belong. I mean, you know, with the power forward position, Jordan Awara has an immense amount of offensive talent. And yeah. he's had a great summer. He's in great shape. He's been – he was in Vegas longer than any other of our players who were not playing in the summer league supported our his, his teammates and he's had a great summer as well so Jarris and Obi and Jordan those those guys are going to be going at each other for for training camp and 
you need everybody at the end of the day. For 82 games, you need 15 guys. At some point, everybody's name gets called, and um, we just didn't have enough of those six, seven, six, eight guys on our roster. And we, the more of those you can get, the more versatile you have, you know, versatility you have of those types of players, the better off you're going to be in the modern NBA. I cannot wait for the competition because competition brings out the best in everybody. And I just feel like the Pacers are deeper at each position than in recent memory. But, you know, you talk about wanting to address defense earlier. One of the players that you do that with, your first signing of the offseason, you come to an agreement with Bruce Brown. What made him the number one target for the Pacers? And maybe what was the reasoning behind the two-year deal with a team option for year two? Because I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Well, Bruce had a lot of suitors. I mean, he's coming off a, you know, a championship run where he was a big part of that team in Denver and, you know, showed that he can adapt to really <clears throat> any role he's in. You know, he shoot, he was almost, he was playing some power forward in Brooklyn and in Denver, he's playing some point guard at times. He's, he's, he can play just all over the floor. He can guard different positions. He can play different positions offensively. So, what team wouldn't want a guy like that? He's in, entering the prime of his career. Um, he's durable. He's a winner. Um, and so there was a, a big market for him, as you can imagine. But the thing that attracted us most of him before I talk about his contract is the fact that this guy, he's a winner. And he's coming off a championship run. He's shown that he can defend a lot of different types of players, which go back to the defensive emphasis of our, you know, our personnel decisions. And we just saw a guy that would fit really well with, with what we had. You know, I think him and Tyrese are a nice balance because, you know, if we're playing a, a team that's got a, a good backcourt player and the other guys maybe more of a role player, we can put Tyrese on the role player and Ben can guard – or Bruce can guard the, the other team's best backcourt player. So it takes some heat off of Tyrese defensively in the backcourt and just his ability to, to provide some toughness and grit uh, and winning qualities was what really attracted us him as a player. And the contract situation, like I go back to, he had a lot of opportunities with other teams that maybe didn't have the ability to offer anything more than a certain contract where we had, you know, a lot of cap room to spend. We had to get the salary floor and the new CBA rules. That's, you know, there's some, you know, not penalties, but there's some things that can you, you lose out on by not getting the salary floor. And so we felt, hey, here's a guy. We didn't see anybody else in free agency that we wanted to, you know, we felt was the fit for what we were looking for um, that we wanted to spend money on. So we said, hey, let's go you know, above probably, you know, a little higher number than his market might be um, and see if he'll take, you know, maybe a shorter term deal with a bigger, bigger number. And he was open to it. He spoke with Tyrese once free agency started and um, they hit it off, I think, in their conversation and just seemed like a good fit. And um, I think he's he's going to bring a, an element to our team that, Maybe we lacked a little bit last year with with the grit and the defensive mindset and just the you know the kind of the, the, the bulldog mentality that, that we were kind of missing last year at times. Yeah, I've always been. A, be, go ahead, Botch. Yeah, sorry. I was going to say I think it might have been safe to say that he might have been the most coveted free agent in this class due to the amount of teams that could have been involved, like compared to maybe a max player where you know you're only going to have you know two offers. It felt like just about every team wanted Bruce Brown and the Pacers were in that spot to be able to outbid those teams. So, you know, I thought that was uh that was an awesome signing by being able to utilize the flexibility that we had. Yeah, he was a type of guy, like I said, 
any team could fit him into their their roster. He's not a guy who can only fit with this style of play or this style of you know backcourt teammate or this coach. I mean, all thirty teams can look at Bruce Brown and say, "I could use that guy." Like I could see him helping our team, and um, I, hopefully, he's he helps us next year. Yeah, I'm excited to see what he does with this team. I think that he's a seamless fit, and he wants to play fast too. It'll be a little bit different than what Denver did, but. Uh, I'm just glad that we have someone that likes country music, you know, the cowboy hats and all that stuff. It's going to be a different dynamic than what we're used to. But, you know, we talk about Bruce Brown being a, a highly coveted free agent, but I was listening to JJ Reddick's latest podcast and they were talking about how free agency has just kind of lost, like it's kind of lost some of those star players in it because of how things are structured. And now you're seeing a lot of players ink those long-term deals with their current team, but then asking for a trade. I'm I'm kind of curious from your perspective as a general manager, how difficult is it to, you know, approach free agency knowing that the the bigger names out there, even if you have the money to go and get them, it, it, they're, they're not really leaving and entering free agency like they once were. So I'm just kind of curious from your perspective, how do you guys approach that knowing that the star players aren't always there and you haven't really been a, a team that's had a lot of cap space before, but the last couple of years you have been operating with that. So just curious what the benefits of having cap space versus not having cap space and that kind of thing. I think even moving forward, there'll be, there's a good chance there's even less high level free agents on the market because of the new, you know, loosen, you know, restrictions on extensions for, for players. And I think you're seeing a lot of guys just, Hey, take the sure thing. Hey, I've got an offer an extension. Uh, I've got to take it. I don't want to risk going into the off season. You know, there's injury risk, there's drop of play risk, whatever it might be. Um, so I think we've, we've tried to adapt to that. And, you know, when we do have cap room, if it's not a free agent, we're trying to, to, to maximize with maybe a trade and trying to find, you know, can we use our cap room to get a, you know, undervalued player in a trade or can we get a pick in a trade? Um, and that's just, we're just never going to be a team that probably a top level free agent that does come on the market is going to be targeting us right now. Anyways, mm -hmm. now I think there's potential that if, if you put in place a team that looks like, Hey, that team is going somewhere. They're one player away that they need this particular position, which is that maybe that star player's position. And I know this player on the team. I've played with this guy in the summer. I've played with him in USA basketball. I've, I've played for Coach Carlisle, whatever it might be, and there's some sort of connection. I wouldn't say it's impossible that a high-level free agent could choose a small market if they feel like the opportunity is there to, to win a championship because that's what those high-level free agents, they're championship-caliber players, and they're trying to find the best opportunity to win a championship. And if they see opportunity, whether it's in Miami or if it's in Anchorage, Alaska, I mean, they're going to go where there's a chance to win a ring. And so – it's our job to try to put the situation in place where if a free agent does come on the market, that we look attractive enough for them to consider us. But in the meantime, we've got to draft well, we've got to trade well, and we've got to develop well. I mean, those are the three things we talk about all the time, you know, from our roster standpoint. Those are the three things that we've got to be great at because that's that's where we build a, a team that's, you know, going to be successful. And it's, it doesn't happen overnight. It's going to take some time. We're trying to take the next step, you know, next year but um we feel like we're on a good path we just can't just sit there you got to keep moving you got to try to keep continue to grow and improve yeah, and we talked about a few moves some real big moves but the biggest move of the offseason 
was extending Tyrese Halliburton. There was a move that last time when he came on here, we said, please, Chad, do whatever you got to do. Get the deal done. But how special is it to have Tyrese on and off the floor? And what are your expectations for him in this new role as the face of the franchise? Because we wondered, could he be a leader last year? Oh, he led. He took the step forward. He became an all-star. You know, what do you expect next, you know, for Tyrese in that role as now you are a max player for this team? Yeah, it's funny. KP and I were just talking today about Tyrese and his future and, you know, different things involving his future and his growth with us. And I think the one thing you can go back to with Tyrese when you talk about off the floor, on the floor, just the core of him as a human being is it goes back to his mom and dad. And he's just got such a phenomenal base of morals and character and education and just a genuine, you know, caring factor to him for other people. And that's his mom and dad are like two of the most special parents I've met in my time in the NBA. And um, I feel like they're the type of, you know, people that you'd want your kids to be around. You'd want Tyrese to coach your son or your daughter. You, you know, when Maddie grows up, you'd want Tyrese, you'd want Maddie and Tyrese's AU program. Cause you're like, that guy's yeah, setting okay. a great example for all, for all the, for all the girls. And I mean, and all the boys that he's around. And so when you have that foundation to work with, whether you're an athlete or you're a businessman or you're a, you know, a father or you're, a, you know, whatever you are, when you have that foundation, you have the potential to, to be very good and very special at what you're doing and, and building something around him. So, you know, our expectations for Tyrese is this is, you know, a team that's built around his, you know, his character and his talent and his ability. And we've got to put pieces around him that help him thrive. And he's the type of guy I think he you could put you, Alex, and me out there, and we could go play Forum Four, and we're all the three of us are going to look like twice the player we probably are, just because he's the one making us look good. So that's that very special quality for a player to have, and to have you know a young guy, you know, in the fold for us moving forward. I, I mean, he's he's just really changed so much of this organization and so much of our outlook, and you know, we've got some players around him that you know. He makes better every day and he makes our coaches better every day. And um, we just got to, you know, help him, you know, continue to develop as a leader and as a player. Hey, Chad, I still got a little bit left in the tank and I know Tyrese can get it out of me. I know he could. So I, I trust him. But, you know, what did it truly mean to you guys, the fan base, everybody to be able to ink Tyrese that five-year extension knowing he's going to be here long-term, the cornerstone of this team, because – Pacer fans, you know, we were holding our breath a little bit over the last few years. You know, hey, who's going to be our guy long-term? Having Tyrese here, I mean, I, I told Alex, we talked about it. I think it was one of the biggest days in franchise history getting that deal done. Do you disagree in any way? I mean, this will be my seventh season. That's by far the biggest, you know, decision and thing that we've done uh, since I've been an Indiana Pacer. And it's probably the favorite thing that I've done since I've been here is being able to, to reward somebody like that with that type of, you know, responsibility and contract. And um, I think it's something we've got to continue as a team, as a front office as a staff to build around him appropriately. You know, we can't just say, Hey, we got Terry sucked up. Let's go, let's go sit on the beach for the next three years. You know, I, that's just, that's the core, one of our core pieces locked up. We got to continue to add to him and, um, we can't be content with, hey, we have one star level player here and we're good and we're going to be competitive. And that's 
that's not what our ownership wants. That's not what our front office wants, not what our staff wants, not what our fans want. So we, we've got to continue to, like I said, make steps, continue to climb the ladder. Um, but being able to, you know, I think us as a front office and from ownership to be able to reward somebody with that type of character and family and what they're about, it just is, it felt really good. And I think everybody involved with that decision, you know, Tyrese from the day he got here, embraced the community, embraced the Pacers, embraced his coaching staff, his teammates, he's all in. And he's 10 toes in with us, we're 10 toes in with him. And I think we, it's on both of us, both sides, to have a partnership moving forward that we can continue to, to be in that that same, same realm. Yeah, I'll say that press conference when he was talking about his family and just like what it means to be here long term. I, I won't lie, as a longtime fan of this team, I did get a little teary eyed, just like, man, it feels good to finally have someone that feels like they're in your corner and fighting for the state of Indiana to be that guy. So it is pretty awesome. And he's got a great opportunity this summer with Team USA. I'm curious your guys' thoughts on uh, what you're hoping that Tyrese gets from this experience with Team USA. And do you think it'll have any impact on how he approaches this upcoming season? Yeah, I was just telling him the other day for, you know, he left, you know, to, to, to go to Las Vegas to get started with camp and, you know, to be yourself. You know, you're a, you're a natural leader. You're a natural playmaker. You're a naturally optimistic and positive person. I'm like, go there and be yourself. You know, be, be who Tyrese is. Don't try to fit in with the others. You know, put your imprint on that team and, you know, set yourself up for a long run with your future with USA basketball because, you know, he's got a special opportunity. A lot of those guys, almost all those guys on that team that are playing this summer are kind of part of the, hopefully the next wave of USA, you know, basketball core pieces. So I, I think he'll he'll take away a lot of good things from it. I think he'll find that the FIBA game is very, very physical, which will help help his development and growth. Um, it's a very, very high IQ ball movement, um, you know, kind of a little slower pace. Lots of teams will play a little slower pace. So you got to kind of adjust. It's a different game than the NBA game. And I think I've seen so many examples of players that are good NBA players. They go play with USA basketball for an off season. They come back and they make a big jump with their NBA season because of that experience. And I, I think Tyrese has the chance to do that. I mean, he made a big jump last year, and I think there's a lot more elements to his game that can come out. And this this experience playing with these players, these this coaching staff, these these opponents they're going to see, these crowds they're going to play at, can only help you as a player. And that you know trickles down and, and helps the Indiana Pacers just as much as it helps Tyrese. Yeah, it's going to be an awesome experience. I'm I'm excited for him. I think a lot of Pacer fans still have PTSD from the Paul George broken leg incident. Uh, just got to have all the positive vibes that Tyrese does not get hurt during this. But, uh, you know, if he does, he does. It's just part of uh, what comes with it. But at the same time, you just don't want to wish on anybody. But Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I want to transition now to 
some other players on this team and stuff that didn't necessarily happen during the offseason. So Andrew Nimhart uh, had a great rookie season. I thought he played terrific in summer league in the two games that he played. Clearly did not belong out there. You could just tell he was way too talented to be out there with younger guys that are still trying to figure figure themselves out and figure their game out. But I'm just kind of curious, what are you guys envisioning for Andrew Nimhart this upcoming season? Because there's been questions like, could he continue to start? Could he be the backup point guard? What's going on with McConnell? And like, there, there's just so much going on right now. So I'm curious, what do you guys envision for Andrew Nimhart this upcoming season? Yeah, I think there was a point in, I don't know, it was the first game or the beginning of the second game in Summer League where Tyrese turned to us and said, you need to send him home. He needs to go <laughs> home. Like, he's, he doesn't belong here. Uh, so he did play fantastic out there. I think you saw some growth in his confidence level. His composure has always been a, a strength of his, but he just played with a little more assertiveness, a little more swagger, a little more, you know, hey, I'm, I'm the best player out here kind of mindset. So, you know, when we drafted Andrew, I think the thought was he would be a third point guard. You know, he developed, learned from TJ, learned from Tyrese. And as we got into the, the training camp, you know, it became obviously like, hey, it's going to be hard to keep him off the floor. And our coaches moved him off the ball to the two spot and um, he played very well for us as a rookie. He thrived, you know, certain games, you know, and accepted the challenge of trying to guard some really, really good players. And and so it was. He really got thrown to the wolves last year in that regard. And I, th- I think moving forward, there's. I think you see, you know, he has a chance to play a couple different positions. I think point guards is, you know, his natural position that he's always played, but he's. Shondo said, I can play with Tyrese and I can help him take some load off of his plate some nights. And um, I can guard, you know, guys that maybe, you know, Tyrese isn't a good matchup for. But ultimately, I mean, what his ceiling is, is, you know, he's probably got starting point guard potential, you know, and that's something that, you know, obviously we have a starting point guard on our roster that's pretty good. So it's, it's a, you know, it's a, and TJ McConnell is a fabulous player as well. So, We've got a lot of depth at the point guard position. That's why Andrew's ability to slide off and place him two is, is helpful because um, it allows you know our coaches to try and maximize all three of those guys as, as best they can. But it is something that's you know going to be a challenge for for us. You know, having three quality point guards, getting them all you know the playing time they probably deserve. You know, striking gold with McConnell at pick 31 was just such a blessing. It's like the gift that keeps on giving because he's going to get better and better. And, yes, he did look like the best player on the court for the Pacers in summer league. But, you know, what are the type of roles that you envision for veteran guards like a TJ McConnell that you mentioned or, or Buddy Heald, whom we saw shift from being a starter, you know, to then coming off of the bench for, say, the last 10 or so games of last season? What, what's the type of role that you see for them this year? Well, TJ, I think – Starting with him last year, I think he took a serious uptick in his three-point shooting, which is Big time. a massive, you know, impact on his effectiveness. And I think we we feel like he's one of the best backup point guards in the NBA. And I think he's he's shown that he's there's still more parts to his game that he can take a jump with. And I mean, he he he's a very very capable point guard. And I think there are certain situations where maybe he could start for certain teams potentially if they needed him to. So. Finding, you know, the role that's appropriate for him with our amount of depth is, like I go back to the training camp, there's going to be a lot of competition in training camp. You know, I'm sure TJ is not one to back down from competition. And TJ's had to fight and scratch and claw for everything in his career. So that's 
you know, that's kind of what he's accustomed to. And I think you're going to come see him, you know, come into training camp and say, Hey, I deserve this backup point guard position. And, you know, I, I also go back to, you need all 15 guys over the course of a season, you know, mm-hmm. TJ's point guard position. We've seen us go through a lot of different names that you probably forgot we even on our roster uh, trying to find, you know, another point guard. So ultimately you're going to need all three of your point guards uh, to get through an 82 game season. And his role in the locker room, I think you guys know he's beloved by everybody, everybody in that locker room, every coach, every staff member. So he has an impact um, whether he's playing or not playing. And so I think we envision him coming in here, ready to battle to, to earn some minutes. And I think that's only good for the health of the team when you've got that much competition because it pushes everybody else. And then with Buddy, you know, Buddy's got great chemistry with Tyrese. He's obviously one of the elite shooters in the NBA, has been for multiple years now. And whether that's, you know, a starting role or coming off the bench, that's, you know, we got to determine that as well and figure out where he best fits in with this team moving forward. And, um, you know, shooting is something our coaches value. And you've seen him, he, he can get hot. And that's a oh, yeah. value of 82 games, having a guy who can go get, you know, 15 points in a quarter to, to keep you alive or keep you afloat is very valuable. So, um, and he, he has, you know, real impact on the personality of our team. You know, he's very, you know, full of life and full of smiles and full of energy. And he talks a lot and, and you know, <laughs> he's got a lot of impact on things. So, um, I mean, he has, he's been a, a great addition to our team. Yeah, and I will say we did a little exercise on the podcast trying to find how the rotation would shake out and try to give everybody minutes and try to make like a 10-man, 12-man rotation, whatever you want to do. And it's a tough challenge to do. And we had a lot of listeners very upset when we didn't have McConnell in there as, you know, the backup point guard and not getting a lot of minutes. I think Fachi might have had a few for him. I had to cut him for mine because I just there's too many guys. It's like you're trying to find playing time for all these guys. It's going to be tough. But I think you bring up a great point saying you need all 15 players for the length of an 82-game season. And, you know, that wasn't what we were really factoring in. It was just if everybody is healthy, here's what we're looking at. But one of the players that we saw last year, you talked about him earlier, had a really great season last year as that starting power forward. And the team really kind of turned around when he became that starting power forward, Aaron Neesmith. Uh, You bring in two power forwards and Obi Toppin and Jairus Walker. You know, it feels like now his position is probably going to be shifted up to the three or maybe even some of the two. So, after having a good season last year, proving his value to this team, what are you wanting to see out of Aaron this season with the new and improved roster? I think our hope for Aaron is sliding back to his more of a wing position, which is his natural position, and continue to see growth with his consistency shooting the ball and his continued development, which I think we saw last year. He embraced the, the d- defensive side of the ball, which is – is something that we need guys willing to do that. And he's, he likes to do the dirty work. He's, he, he gives you every ounce of effort. He's got every single minute he's on the floor, which, you know, I have a ton of respect for guys who play that way. And Aaron is that. And I, I feel like Aaron's one of those guys that feel like every day he's trying to prove that he's trying to make the team. You know, his mindset is I got to prove myself today at practice or shoot around or this game that I belong on this team. And I think him, settling into having some confidence like hey you're gonna you belong here like you you established yourself now let's like play with you know a real edge to yourself confidence wise and not being worried about a couple missed shots and getting down on yourself if you have a couple bad plays or make a couple mistakes and 
just settling into a comfort zone of knowing like I belong. Now I need to get really, really confident with my shooting. I think that'll be really make him valuable to us because if you have a guy who has shown he can start at probably a couple of different positions if you need him to, but um, I think he probably, you know, has a chance to be a, he's going to be in our rotation, whether that's starting or coming off the bench, I don't know, but he'll, he'll be a part of our team this year, every single night. And, um, really liked his development from start to finish last year. And I think, you know, we want to see continued growth from him um, shooting the ball, especially. I love the amount of players on this team that could start or have started before, because now it feels that we have versatility at positions. We have guys that could step up that this isn't a different role for them, but it more, maybe more of an expanded role. But one of the players, Benedict Matherin, a fan favorite so someone who was absolutely full of potential and confidence. And I'm going to say probably the best pacer rookie that many of us have seen in our lifetime. But in order for him to fully reach his potential, what areas do you think he has to improve upon most? Because we know he can score, but obviously there's more to the game than just scoring. Yeah, I think he's got a couple areas that he knows he needs to, to show some strides in. That's, you know, his ability to make plays for others off the dribble. I think we've seen he can get himself to the paint. I mean, he's very powerful. Um, he's not afraid to, to throw himself into there against, you know, bigger bodies. And sometimes it's getting yourself into the paint and spraying it out to a guy open for a three-point shot. Or it's getting into the paint and throwing a little lob to your center for a dunk. Um, or it's getting into the paint and turning, kicking it back out um, to your point guard. It's it's not always getting into the paint, trying to manufacture how can I get the ball up onto the rim. And I think that's that's the next step of his evolution with his decision-making. And then, you know, his consistency shooting the ball. I think you saw, you know, peaks and valleys with that last year and becoming more steady with that will be important. And then the defensive side, I, I come back to him. There's real opportunity for growth on that end for him. He's a very competitive guy. That's a big piece of being a good defender is having the desire to want to compete with the guy you're defending. And that's – it's hard to do all that at once with a young player. And I think we saw some real, some areas of real positive, you know, growth last year for him. And you see some areas I just talked about that are going to be important for him to take the next step because part of it is fitting in with your teammates, being able to, this can't always be about you driving to the basket. Sometimes by you driving to the basket, you get somebody else a shot. You're, you're the kamikaze, you know, you're, you're driving in there and give up something for yourself to get a shot for somebody else. And that, that's how you develop real chemistry and growth as a team. Um, and I think Ben Ben wants to, to develop in those areas. He knows that's a, you know, going to take some time, but he knows that's part of his areas that he's got to emphasize and try to be better at. Yeah, just a real quick follow-up on that. I mean, not like I want to, like, get into, like, the know of everything, but was there some frustrations with the players, you know, with Ben, I guess, just being so, like, tunnel vision, I guess you could say, and maybe, you know, not making that extra pass when he could have, and just players get a little frustrated that he's not passing the rock as much? I don't I don't think there's any more than anybody else, you know, the course of a season. Some guys are more more ball movers than others. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think there was frustration. I think there was, hey, you know, I see this kid's talent, and I see how we can help him. And I think it was guys wanting to help him, you know, because – there's another step to Ben. There's probably two, three, four more steps to his growth. And I think his teammates see how they can help him do that. And I think that's where they, there's a lot of communication with them on that part of like, hey, 
if you do these two things, you're going to be even, you're going to be a 22 point tonight score. Mm-hmm. You're going to nine free throws a game and you're going to get four assists a game. Like, I think it was more trying to help him than it was frustration with him. Right. Uh, I think there, there was never any tension between guys. I mean, yeah. you play 82 games, there's going to be moments where <laughs> guys are pissed at Tyrese because they didn't throw him the ball. You know, it's hard to pinpoint it on one guy. Um, but, you know, players, they play that many games together. There's going to be frustration with everybody on your team at some point. But it never got to the point where it was detrimental to, to anybody in our team with, you know, any friction between players at all. Yeah, and that's, and that's great to hear. And I'm, and I didn't want to like try to throw anybody under the bus. I was just kind of curious, like, you know, it, it just play style. Some people might get frustrated with a certain play style, but I, I want to kind of talk now about the backup centers because Daniel Ty is still on the roster, Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith. Jalen Smith was brought back last year to be the starting power forward, ended up losing that spot. Wasn't a great fit next to miles, but he did play some backup center. And him and Isaiah kind of rotate a little bit while Tice was recovering from the injury. We know that he played a few weeks, but not really a part of that long-term solution. But I'm just kind of curious now that the team is trying to get to the playoffs, you know, you're not looking to develop as much. What are you looking at? What are you looking for out of these three players? I know you've talked about the openness in terms of position battles at training camp. So I'm not, I'm sure there's not clarity on who it's going to be, but what are you guys looking for out of these three centers backing up miles and in terms of who wins this spot? I think each guy brings something a little different. You know, there it's hard to say these two guys are very similar in what they do. Um, you know, Isaiah's much more impactful defensively than he probably is offensively right now. Jalen is probably more of a, a skilled guy that can can get you 14 to 16 points off the bench on certain nights. And Daniel brings the the defense and the experience and you know the the, the knowledge of the NBA game. So each guy is different, and that creates, you know, for our coaches, some nights maybe Isaiah's a better fit for this matchup than Jalen or Daniel, or some nights, hey, we're, we're, we need to win this game tonight. We're going to play the veteran player tonight, Daniel. Like, there's just different matchups that probably each guy makes more sense for. But ultimately, you can't play all four guys. I mean, it's mm-hmm. impossible. But, you know, we've got to decide, you know, who is going to be our backup center moving forward, and that's going to be determined on the court. You know, it's not going to be determined by, you know, us, you know, evaluating from, you know, stats and things like that. It's, it's going to play itself out over the course of time. Two of those guys are still way young. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're so far from their prime of their career. And to say this is who this guy is today is going to be who he is in three, four or five years is unfair to that player because these guys all develop at their own pace. And we like all three guys for different reasons. And, you know, I think long term, Jalen and Isaiah, we've got to figure out, you know, who, who, who's who's going to rise above the other in that matchup. You know, Daniel's a little older and maybe doesn't fit our timeline as much, but he handled his position, you know, his role very professionally last year and really happy with that. And I know ultimately he'd love to play, but he also sees, hey, I got two young guys in front of me that you're trying to, to help develop. And I understand that and what I can do to help them, I'll do my best and. Um, but how, how that all plays out is going to happen on the court and it's going to be a daily battle between all those guys. Yeah. To your point on the age, Isaiah Jackson, 21 years old, Jalen Smith, 23, Oscar Sheboy just got drafted. He's 23 years old. So you think about the experience that Isaiah and Jalen have at their young age, they got a lot of basketball to play. So 
Uh, I'm very excited because I do think that the best basketball is in front of them. But do you anticipate bringing in any more players to the training camp rosters? Last year, we saw James Johnson and Langston Galloway be late additions. James Johnson ended up being huge for this team as, as a veteran. So many people cited that his leadership was way more valuable than anything you could see in a box score. Yeah, well, right now, we we don't have the ability. We're going to have a roster spot right now. We could bring in some guys to camp and compete. Yeah. You know, if we want to win a guy, we could do that. James was very impactful last year in our locker room. And, you know, we kind of talked a lot about him. We thought George Hill had some impact in his brief time with us as well. Their, their mentorship of our young players and, you know, our players looked up to those guys for help and guidance. And we also want to have some of our players, our young guys, start to take that, that role themselves too. You know, that's got to kind of pass that leadership torch off to some of our young guys as well. Miles has, you know, leadership qualities in our locker room as well. So um, we're, we're not going to – I mean, we still have a little bit of cap room. You know, like I said, we if we wanted to waive a player, technically we could, you know, and, and bring somebody in. Um, but I think right now, unless something comes across the table that really feels like a no-brainer option for us, I think we're probably – and be content for a little bit here. Gotcha, gotcha. Because yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna follow up and ask about George Hill, James Johnson. Just kind of, I know Kev, Kevin had said these were guys that would be late, you know, you know, free agents to address. But it feels like there's a lot of, you know, roster spots already filled up for a lot of teams. And I'm kind of curious if if there's any chance maybe they could be back with the organization. Maybe if they're not on the roster, but in maybe a different capacity uh, with with the team. Never know on that. I mean, we haven't had those discussions yet. I think both those players still would like to continue playing. Mm-hmm. And I think they'll exhaust every option they can to find a home to play. Um, but, you know, George specifically has a lot of history with, with our team and our city. And, um, you know, if there's one day that he decides, hey, I'm, I'm ready to retire and I want to stay involved with something, I'm sure we'd have discussions with him about that to see if there was a role that made sense for him. But, um, you know, I think it's hard for guys to turn – close the book on their playing career until somebody else closes it for them a lot of yeah. times. So I think those guys will, will wait it out to see if they can find a situation where they can play. And you just, you never know how things fight with us. I mean, we could have a trade opportunity to come out of the blue tomorrow and it creates a roster spot. And one of those guys makes sense to bring in as a mentor and he's on our roster by Friday. You know, you just never know. Um, but right now I don't see that, you know, on the near horizon for us. Hey, after seeing Lance be a three-time pacer, George Hill make his comeback, you never say never. You just never know. But, look, there really wasn't that much roster turnover from the end of last year till now compared to years past. What is the vibe like with the group that is returning, plus the new additions that you made as they head into the season healthy? For instance, a guy like Miles Turner is healthy going into this year. And same with the rest of the group, no real significant injuries what's the buzz like yeah i think we had such as you guys know we had really good chemistry a great locker room last year the just the personality of the team was very very positive and we talk about this with our players a lot is hey you season's gonna end you guys are gonna be away from each other for four months or so we come back to training camp can we pick up where we left off with that positive vibe and that chemistry and really every season is a whole new story. And sometimes those characters in the story kind of go down maybe different paths. So we got to try to, because they have different situations, individual situations change from season to season from 
role to shots to their contract situation and so there's not just a given that we pick up where we left off with our chemistry and we hope we do but we got to work with that we got to work on that with communication with our players our players got to work on that internally with each other our coaches got to work with that with their players and we got to keep the good vibe going um, because it was a very good vibe last year and you know there'll be more expectations you know this year on the team which impacts sometimes how guys play how sometimes guys feel about the team and so that's a new dynamic that will come into play as well and not saying we're going to win a championship next year but I think there's expectations that we have a better season you know win win loss wise than we did last year so that's another element that comes into play and all this factors into your new story for this next season and it's on all of us like I said, within the locker room, within the staff, within the organization, to keep everybody rowing in the same direction. Yeah, I will say, you talk about vibes. I mean, the most vibe thing I've seen all offseason was Rick Carlisle in Vegas with the sunglasses on inside the building after game one. That was just a great meme, great gift. Uh, thank you, Rick, for for providing that for us. You know, Carlisle is hilarious. Uh, always, always unexpected with him, but you know, you talk about, you know, the goals for the season, maybe not winning a championship, but the last question for me, maybe I have another one, but I'll, the last one I'm going to promise on is, uh, you know, this upcoming season, what are your goals and expectation for this group of guys? Well, I think Rick's goal is to get a sunglass deal out of that. That's why he signed it. But uh, <laughs> I think get him to coach in those one game this year. That would be, that would be great. Yeah. But I think it's a, the question about goals for this season, I think, like I go back to, the expectation is that we win 35 games last year. Uh, we want to try to make another jump. You know, whether that jump is to 40 to 42 wins or if it's to 45 to 47 wins, whatever that might be, we want to feel progress. And we may win 39 games next year and feel progress. You'll know whether you have it or not. And I think... Um, we may win 40 games and feel like it was a crappy season. You just mm -hmm. you just never know. Sometimes the number of wins doesn't tell the direction you're headed. And I think the development of our players is going to be important. We want to see our young guys grow and develop. And we want to see chemistry develop with our young guys. And we would like to see, you know, like I go back to, I feel like to win in this league at a high level, you got to have multiple star level players. And I think right now, I think Tyrese has shown that he can be one of those stars or is one of those stars. Who is another guy? Is that guy on our roster? There are two guys on our roster, but we need another guy that can help us. If we want to be a playoff level team, we need another guy to take a jump. And we need, we need a guy that can be nights where Tyrese doesn't have it going that can take over and get us to a win. And you know, we saw last year without Tyrese how much we struggled in that stretch when he got injured. You know, we have more depth this year, but do we do we have a guy that can take that next jump to that star level? And I think that's that's what will determine ultimately how we get to be a playoff level team and how we ultimately get to be a team that can compete and win in the playoffs and make a run. Um, and there's a lot of question marks on this team. We have a lot of young players with a lot of talent, but there's a lot of unknown. I mean, there's there's a chance that all the guys kind of don't take a jump and we're a very average team. There's a chance that multiple guys take a jump and we, we win 47 games and we're in the top six in the playoffs. It just depends on can guys take another jump in their development and do we have the chemistry 
and vibe uh, that where it fits together. And ultimately, the, a huge, huge, huge part of our development, our growth is our defense. And if we're one of the worst defensive teams in the league next year, and I don't care how much growth we make as an offensive team, we're just not going to win. And that is where we want to see development. And I think Coach Carlisle would say the same thing. All of our coaches would say, say the same thing on that. Here's what Alex and I were saying. If this Pacers team can be a top 15 defense, even 15 to 20, that would be a solid leap for this team because I don't know if you pay attention to what Vegas has, but they have us at 35 wins. I think I think it's disrespectful. I got the sledgehammer. I'm hammering that over. I really really believe the Pacers are taking a solid step forward next year. And I think the whole fan base agrees. But a little bit of coaching turnover. Ronald Nared is out. Jim Boylan in. What do you? How do you feel about the coaching staff this year? A couple of them now. We have some consistency over the last few years after a big turnover a few years ago when Carlisle and his staff came in. How do you feel about the group this year? Yeah, I mean, I think we have phenomenal coaching staff. I, I love the chemistry. The fit, um, how each coach complements the other coaches. Um, it's a really good um, tight knit group, and I think you know Coach Carlisle is obviously the leader of that. But you know Coach Pierce, uh, Mike Weiner, Jenny Busick, you know Jim Boylan, General Cargo, Mo Baker, Isaac Jacob, all those guys, Zach Chu. They, there's just no ego involved with anybody on that staff, and it's you know Kevin and I were just talking about this today. I said when you have highly intelligent, highly driven people with low ego, it eliminates so much conflict in your culture. And I feel that coming from our coaching staff. I feel they all respect each other. They're all willing to speak up and speak their mind. Coach Carlo is very, one of the, the best, one of the, the traits about Coach Carlo that is most impressive to me is his listening skills. Is he's very curious. He wants to know what you think. He wants to know why you think the way you think, and he's never going to tell you you're wrong. He just wants, he wants ideas. He wants, give me your feedback. Give me your thoughts. What do you think about this? And so our coaches feel empowered to speak up. And so when you have that empowerment as a, as a staff member, you feel engaged and some ownership and what's going on because they feel like they have a voice. And um, Coach Boylan obviously has a lot of experience under his belt. He's got rings on his finger. And he's been a head coach, and he's very, very defensive-minded. I think that's where Coach Carlisle, you know, values him the most is his knowledge of modern NBA defense and trying to build us into a top, you know, if we were a top 15 defense, I would be very, very, very happy, and I would be very surprised <laughs> oh, yeah. we didn't have a very good season um, because I think our offense is going to be very, very strong again. And if we're a, a top-half defensive team, I think we'll have a very enjoyable season. All right. I'm not going to ask a question, but I'm curious if you have any stories that you'd be willing to share that maybe would be fun for the listeners to to know. Because last time you did go in-depth a little bit more about the Benedict Matherin draft workout story, and I know we got a lot of positive feedback from that. So wasn't sure if there was like a draft workout with maybe Jairus or Ben or something like that that you wanted to elaborate on or maybe just a story from Carlisle or Kevin or something like that. Oh, boy. Well, we have a, a deal going with our scouts every year. Um, in the draft, we all put in uh, $20, and it's scouts, front office, 
anybody involved in the draft. And before the draft, we all bet who's going to be the 60th pick of the draft. And if you get it right, you get the pot of money. And so this is year six for us. Now, a couple of years ago, I think it was a couple of years ago, we had the 60th pick, so we had to do the 59th pick. Um, <laughs> but the pot has continued to grow and grow and grow and grow. Nobody's been able to, to pick the last pick in the draft. Um, so, that, I mean, that, that's probably the one thing that pops in my head because it was kind of fresh because we were just talking about it the other day. Um, but... I don't know, not as many funny drafts. There's a couple of interesting interviews this year of draft, draft prospects. Um, we had one, this is probably the most impressive interview preparation I've ever seen from a prospect. I won't tell you who it was, but um, they most draft prospects come into the room. You know, some of them are dressed up. You know, they're all nervous for the most part, which I would be too if I'm 19 years old and I'm walking in a room of, of 10, 12 you know, people and one of them is, you know, a Hall of Fame coach. And, you know, so you're a little nervous, um, but they're very, very polite. And some of them are more outgoing than others, as you can imagine. They'll have their individual personalities. But we had one come in this year and he had a notebook, uh, a notepad, and he had a pen in his hand. And so he put the notepad down on the desk and we proceeded to ask him, you know, a lot of the same questions we ask most players, get to know you kind of questions. And, ask about their season, other guys, the draft, things like that. And so we're about two thirds of the way through the interview. And I said, you know, what, what, what's on your notepad? He said, well, I got a bunch of questions on, on the Pacers and a bunch of notes I've taken on you guys and your team. And um, so we're like, okay. And one <laughs> of the questions we ask the players is how much do you know about our team? And that gives you an insight of how much they watch the NBA and study basketball and, Kind of, it's a little bit of a question. How much do you love basketball? Do you, do you know anything about a team you're interviewing with? And, you know, some guys will say, hey, I know who Tyrese Halliburton plays for you guys. I know Miles Turner plays for you guys, whatever it might be. Well, we, we asked this guy, do you know anything about our team? And he rattled off all 15 of our players without looking at it. It was on his piece of paper. He rattled them off by position. He went through the depth chart by position, all 15 guys he named. He knew our defensive rating, our offensive rating. He knew what our record was without Tyrese. He knew who our free agents were. He had all this written down on his piece, on his piece of paper before his interview with us. And so we said, no, what, did your agent make you do this? He said, no, I just did this for all the teams I'm interviewing for. I did all this background work on all the teams, so I was prepared for, for all these interviews. I'm like, wow. I'm like, this guy is like, I don't know if he's going to be able to play in our league, but he – I might hire this guy one day to work for us. <laughs> uh, it was the most like unique and kind of impressive combine interview I'd experienced. And um, I saw the guy at, at summer league and, you know, he said, should it, he said to me, he goes, you should have taken me at seven. That's what he said to me. <laughs> so, I said, well, don't hold it. Don't hold it against us. And he said, well, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for every team that passed on me. And so, <laughs> But that'll, that'll be an interesting to see how his career plays out. But that was a really interesting uh, interview, yeah. Uh, I always love some story time with Chad. I mean, I was fresh off of reading a book to to my kid, but hearing a story from you, I mean, you, you got to love that. But to your point before, we've interviewed a few different players on the show, and Terry Halliburton is always the first name that comes to mind. But it's always interesting to hear, what did they mention after Halliburton? So that's a great point for you is, Yes, there's obviously our all-star, but what else do you know? So, great 
question over there. And man, Jet, you got the whole fan base fired up for this this season coming up. That it makes August be such a downer that there is no Pacer basketball right now. But I want to thank you for coming back on. It means a lot to not just Alex and I, but also our listeners to be able to hear how open and honest you are about this whole offseason, what goes into making the trades, the free agent signings, your expectations of the team, and all of the above. So thank you very much, and hope to have you back, back on uh, you know, sometime during the season. I appreciate it, guys. And like I said, I think all we're excited about the roster and you know where things are headed, but it's there's gonna be peaks and valleys. We talk a lot about being calm waters, you know, not reacting to the highs and lows and being steady and consistent every day. And you know, that'll be important for us this year because um, we got some new faces, they're gonna have some you know chance to have some big roles. We're gonna have a lot of competition internally, and um, there's gonna be some ups and downs, but I think at the end of the day. You know, we've got a good core in place and hopeful that it's this is a very fun team to watch and a fun team to be around. And I'm excited to get started. And I think you know, our coaches are and our, our players are excited to get going. And um, hopefully it's come January, like I told you guys earlier, come January, we all feel the same way as we do here on August August 2nd. <laughs> yeah, especially with the All-Star being in Indianapolis this year too, it's going to be awesome. I know there were some complications with Ticketmaster and trying to get seats for Lucas Oil Saturday night events, but regardless, just having the NBA in our backyard basically is going to be great for this city, and I'm excited for that. And you know, there, there's just it just seems like there's a lot of positivity with this season coming into it. So I think this team is on the rise, and they're in a good spot, and. We have the flexibility still for next offseason to still be players, a lot of different options. So I think that, too, is something that we got to give you guys credit for with how you've went together about keeping this roster intact. You've also allowed there to be flexibility, even though you did extend Tyree. So I, I think that's one thing to keep an eye on for fans, too. Just adding more talent, there's going to be a chance, I think, in the offseason, once again, to have that flexibility. Yep. And it's like in anything in life. You're either getting better or you're getting worse. You can't stay – the same spot that's that's a danger of of team building too is you feel like you have a decent team and you just sit on it you know i think we gotta continue to develop players and look for opportunities to get better and we're that's our jobs and we're going to continue to do that and trying to help this team and these fans experience a deep playoff run and ultimately we win a championship at some point that's what we all want and you know that's what you know our ownership wants and our fans want and all of us internally want as well and not wait. The flexibility that we have moving forward just makes us able to, you know, dream past just saying, hey, it's all or nothing this year. It feels like this is truly the start of something new. So, Chad, once again, thank you very much. We cannot wait to see it unfold. And, uh, hey, you know, let me know when we're ready to hit the court. Because if you still need Alex and I and Tyrese, we only need one more. We got five out there. I'm ready to run. <laughs> Well, I think Tyrese is going to be tied up uh, in the Philippines and USA basketball for a while, so we'll have to wait till he gets back into the country. I mean, if you're looking for an out of sh- if you're looking for an out of shape 31 year old guy to be on a two way or a, on a 10 day contract towards in the season, I could use the paycheck. So, um, just a call away, Chad. Alex, I'll have you on our list. It's probably like on page 74 of our list, but hey. you'll be on our list. It's it's better than page 75. That's all I got. I was going to say the same thing. I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> All right. Hey, well, Chad, thank you so much. We really appreciate you and uh, can't wait to tip off. Thanks, guys. Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your.
your number one podcast. Sweeping every team, we gon' need a mop. Smooth. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online. Schedule package pickups through the dashboard and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.